only the super rich get to get the super drugs. Like this one, you can put in your underwear. You put it on and it automatically starts tracking your steps, your heart rate, uh, your respiratory state. Uh, you're yeah, too young for this. iPhone This is an iPhone. Two? iPhone 2, it still works. Hi, I'm Mast Reader, and this is my YouTube show on rationality, transhumanism, and trends of development of society. Today, here with me is Dr. Daniel Kraft, the chair of medicine of Singularity University and a major expert in the future of medicine. Hi, Daniel. Good morning. Bless you, bud. <laughs> Welcome to Russia. And first of all, I'd like to continue the discussion that we have started just now, before the cameras were turned on, uh, you asked me about transhumanism. And uh, as I am a transhumanist blogger, I really love this ideology. I love spreading the word about it. And I think we have a lot in common in this aspect. But you said that you have some problem with transhumanism. What is it exactly? I don't exactly have a problem. I just almost think it needs a bit of a rebranding. I think it sometimes in the, in the sort of media or the common perception feels a little extreme. Um, we're already already transhumanists, we're already integrating with technology in our phones, but sometimes if you uh, kind of just show the aspect of people inserting robots into their heads or extra cameras in the back of their, um, you know, to, to, to expand their consciousness, it sometimes I think can have a bit of a, a negative perception as well. And I think we're all for advancement and the future of hopefully health span. Um, but I think sometimes it gets a bit of an extreme um, lens from my pers perspective. Uh, wouldn't you want to implant some uh, technologies in your body if they let you live longer or uh, be more efficient or stuff like this? Potentially. I mean, it's just sometimes how you label something and how you sort of display it to the world can um, impact how it's adopted and how it's seen. Like you can say, artificial intelligence, wouldn't you like to be smarter and use your technology to uh, have instant information, but also can be you know, AI on the dark side and surveillance and yeah. the overlords of AI. So all these things can be um, perceived differently. And I just sometimes think the term transhumanism can sometimes feel a bit on the extreme end, which can potentially um, even hinder the progress of the ability to advance technology and uh, human evolution. Because the general population will be afraid that it's like creepy? It can sometimes feel creepy, frankly. I mean, you can sort of think about the cyborg element. Sometimes it's the Hollywood imaging of it. So, I mean, I'd even ask you, how do you define transhumanism? If you look it up on, you know, Wikipedia, it's sort of um, folks who want to sort of live, often live forever or meld with technology. And my argument is we're sort of already doing that. Um, it just sort of depends on your perspective of how quickly to push that and, and who's doing it and how. Well, I certainly would like to live, uh, well, maybe not forever, but uh, significantly longer than the current uh, standard is. Wouldn't you? Sure. I think uh, forever is a very, very, very long time. Um, and what do you define as living? I mean, some folks can think about uploading their brain or yeah. now you can already capture your personality and your speech and have a maybe a little avatar of your grandfather or yeah. you could live on forever in some digital form. You know, is that you? Is that life? Um, I think there's a lot of focus on, on uh, longevity and less so on sort of health span. I don't think you want to be 120 and feel 120. Sure. Uh, not able to think or talk or communicate or get around by yourself. So um, I'm all for long health span. Uh, I just think uh, there's a balance of, of the perception of that. 
By the way, if you want to check out more information on the current longevity research, check out uh, my interview with Aubrey de Grey, one of the major experts in the area. So Aubrey also likes to uh, reposition transhumanism in some aspects, saying that sure. yeah, we'll, we must live longer, but uh, it must be healthier, healthier lifespan. So I know Aubrey well, he's terrific. Did he have a beer while he was talking to you? We had some vodkas. Very vodka. Because, you yeah. know, <laughs> Russia. That's good, good for your health. <laughs> well, uh, by the way, uh, are you one of those uh, you know, biohackers who don't uh, drink, don't do anything that could be potentially poisonous. I'm, I'm, I'm fasting right now. No, uh, <laughs> I think all that's fascinating. I think there's a lot of new data coming in about uh, intermittent fasting, yeah. take people taking metformin and other sort of elements. Um, I'm not personally doing anything crazy except trying to get more sleep, which I'm not getting here in Moscow. Um, and maybe maybe we'll start a little bit of intermittent fasting because I think that's easier to do than the extreme, meaning you know you go from dinner time until noon. Yeah. But I don't do anything personally about biohacking yet. I don't think there's yet quite enough data. I think some of the early work on metformin is exciting and could be something easy to do. I think eventually we'll, we'll learn that, of course, aging, there's no one silver bullet. There's no one, you know, taking resveratrol or some other drug is probably maybe a little helpful, but not going to be the um, single element. I think we might end up in an era where we learn about our personal, like personalized medicine. We all might have some slightly different biologic clock and we may be able to take a combination of factors to mm -hmm. uh, slow down aging or eventually use gene editing or other forms to, to hack our biologic clock. So, um, we'll speak about the future of uh, healthcare, medicine, definitely. Uh, one more trendy term that I'd like to discuss is quantified self. Um, you sometimes mention it in your speeches. Uh, are you a quantified selfer? Um, I don't label myself as anything exactly, but yeah, I track my sleep, my steps a little bit. I have a, I'm having a, a belt I got in, in Korea called the Welt, which tracks Uh, your, your waist and your steps and, um, and is now being used for older folks to track if they have a risk of a fall. So I think we're already, all of us are sort of quantified selfers, meaning our technology is already tracking us, uh, you know, especially our phones. And sometimes people don't even realize. I got the email from Google uh, last week about uh, Google Maps. Where have you been over the last year? Yeah. And I had been quantified. I'd traveled around the planet like eight times in terms of distance. And, wow. You know, 16 countries and... So we're, always, we're already being measured whether we want to or not. I think it's one thing to be quantified. The other thing is to take uh, knowledge from that in action. So if you track your sleep and you see that, wow, you're only getting five hours a night, then it can give you some, well, maybe I need to start getting to bed earlier mm -hmm. or working on not having coffee before bed. Or we know that drinking vodka or coffee or, coffee or wine before bed is not so good on your sleep cycle. So I, I think... Um, It's becoming easier to quantify yourself and now also put that in context. So especially for longevity and health, we're learning sleep is more and more important. And now you can sort of look from your Fitbit or your other data, how long you're in deep sleep or light sleep and compare yourself to others, your age and sex and even location. So um, I like to say we're moving from quantified self to quantified health, meaning mm -hmm. that we can take that data. It's going to go beyond our steps and our sleep to our heart rate, our heart rate variability, um, our mood, our uh, uh, many other elements, and, and hopefully make that useful for you and your healthcare team 
or your AI doctor yeah. to start giving you guidance, particularly for many of you folks who want to live a long, healthy life. It's not about waiting for the magic potion or gene therapy or drug to automatically make you live forever. Start staying healthy now uh, and sleep and taking care of uh, your exercise and diet are probably the most important. Uh, if, you want, if you want to get to that you know, escape velocity yeah. uh, in 20 years when we can print your organs and, and tune your biology. Uh, which data are you currently tra tracking? So I just did the basics. I mean, the Apple Watch now can, and, and Fitbit uh, can do a ton of information, simply insights on your steps and your heart rate and how much exercise you're getting and how much sleep and what quantitative sleep. Um, that's the basics right now. And interesting now, it's not just the data, but how you analyze it. So there's some apps that come with the Apple Watch that you can download that look at your uh, detailed heart rate. How much time are you in stress versus uh, what's your resting heart rate? How has that changed, giving you a bit of a, a readiness score? So if it knows that I'm jet lagged like I am now, if I looked at my data, my, my score for today might be 20, whether if I got a good night's sleep back at home and uh, maybe I'd be a 90. And that might change my ability to have a smart interview or uh, go run a marathon or study for a test. So um, part of the other challenge is starting to tune these sorts of data to you. I mean, you're, you're younger than me, just a little bit. Uh, your quantified self data might be, you know, you can, might be able to sleep on four hours a night. It's harder for me now, maybe. So we need to put these in context and individualize the data mm -hmm. So it can be useful to you, and then in the quantified health side, make it useful to optimize your health span, prevent disease, optimize your wellness, pick up a disease early, early diagnosis. Mm -hmm. For example, if your sleep is changing or your heart rate is 180 while I'm sitting here, something might be going on. So uh, we need to put it in context with every individual, and we're just in the early days of quantified self. It's 2020. It was only in 2009 that the first Fitbit launched. Yeah. And now there's you know, sensors for everything, um, even in your underwear. You know? So uh, it's an interesting time to start quantifying. The trick is to do something with that information that makes it useful to you and maybe even helps others. Uh, by the way, which apps would you recommend? It's not like paid, uh, not, not like anything, just the honest recommendation. Which um, ones do you use on your Apple Watch, for example, to track uh, your data? Well, now there's a variety of things. I mean, now with uh, you know HealthKit, you can integrate data from your scale, and if you had a blood pressure cuff, and you have smart scale. I have a little bit of smart scale. Actually, the the most important quantified self thing I have in my scale, a WeThink scale. You step on it in the morning, and it shows you you've gone up a pound, <laughs> or down a pound, yeah. or two, two, two. so it, just that little bit of data. It doesn't need to be fancy. Can give you a little bit of a nudge. Because all of these things are about sort of micro mini behaviors over time, right? If you're having vodka every day, three times a day, not so good for you, right? If you're getting, uh, like I stayed out late in Moscow last night, it was great. But if I did that every night, not so good. Yeah. Or if I had a big meal. So I think it gives you, even just your weight every day can start to give you a little bit of insight. If I come back from a big trip and I've gone up two pounds or two kilos, I'm like, mm, I'll, I'll stop maybe eating so much bread or dessert and I'll come back down to a, a better baseline. Okay, uh, other, so. and other terms of apps, there's um, an interesting one called Auto Sleep and uh, Auto Heart, and, and those start to give you uh, lots of ways of um, uh, getting extra data and insights into your behavior and to your physiology. 
so you don't wear uh, any specific wearables for sleep, like uh, Aura Ring or I have an Aura Ring. I, I lost it about uh, six months ago in a hotel. I left it in the charger. Uh, and those are, what's amazing about these sort of technologies, like the Aura Ring, is they're getting exponentially smaller. I mean, yeah. they fit a, a supercomputer on your on your ring, or now there's little uh, sensors. I think I have one in my pocket. Like this one, you can put in your underwear. This is a company called Spire, mm-hmm. and you get a pack of ten of these, and you just put them in every pair of underwear or ten pairs of underwear. And you put it on, and it automatically starts tracking your steps, your heart rate, uh, your respiratory state. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting, these start as sort of consumer devices, um, but now in the United States, uh, with how we pay for medicine and healthcare. Now these companies can start to get paid for remote monitoring of patients who might have a pulmonary, a, car, a heart or cardiac yeah. issue. So they can be start to be used for monitoring and being paid for in new ways. So we can put sensors everywhere. And now again, you don't need to wear anything. Um, cameras on your phone can pick up your heart rate or your blood pressure. And heart rate variability also. Right now, maybe mostly heart rate and blood pressure. I'm not sure if the camera yet can do heart rate variability. It can. It can. I, I already tracked. There you go. So. Um, so, or uh, voice can be a biomarker, yeah. or Wi-Fi uh, engineers at MIT, Dina Katabi and others have now re-engineered Wi-Fi to pick up the vital signs of many people, even in the same room, and track your sleep and other behaviors. So we're entering a, a time where we can track our digital exhaust, the digitome, mm-hmm. and combine that with your genome and microbiome and metabolome and all those elements, which will give us a, a better picture of your he- health and wellness, or transition to disease, or better ways to manage uh, a medical problem. Uh, as for genome, uh, as, as far as I know, you've uh, done a DNA test, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, would you recommend it? I think you know we're still at the early days of omics and genomics. I was I did 23andMe uh, mm, yeah. 10-12 years ago. I've been probably sequenced two or three times, um, and uh, for me, luckily, I don't have too many uh, genetic flags that came up. But I think what's uh, interesting is it can give you insights, particularly if you have a risk of certain diseases or some classic genes that might be related to risk for cancer or diabetes or even mental health issues. And if you have early knowledge of this sort of data, you can hopefully be proactive. And again, for many folks who want to live a long time or forever, it's sometimes very useful to have that information so you can change your activity or get screened differently. And I think the medicine of the future, which it still doesn't yet today, will start to really use that genomics. If I'm your, if you're my patient and you come into my clinic, I might have your whole. You might come and bring me your genome on a disc or even in the cloud, but it yet isn't very easy to interpret or utilize in terms of medical care. The most basic genomics we can start to use today is pharmacogenomics. What drugs might be best for you? So. Uh, maybe you're trying to use a glucophage for longevity, or you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol, and I need to give you a, a statin, right, which might extend your cardiovascular health. I might give you everybody the same dose today, but really you might be very different from 10 other people. I should use your genetic information and other information, maybe even your quantified self-information, to pick the right drugs and doses for you. Unfortunately, not many uh, doctors today do this. So, well, because it's not really integrated or, yeah. or rewarded or put into the into your uh, workflow. So there's a company in California called HLI, Human Longevity Incorporated, where their focus is about um, 
helping extend long, healthy lives. And they do a full body MRI, they do a genome, a microbiome, um, give you quantified self data, uh, look at your heart with the CT scan. And so we can start to integrate that data. The challenge is if I give that to my doctor, most of them still don't know what to do with all that information. Um, I think the future of medicine will be using AI and machine learning and big data and synthesizing that for you and for your clinical team so that you can um, find problems at stage zero, you know, before you have them at birth. And now you can be sequenced while you're still right. in utero. And the potential there is to then understand how to optimize your health from the beginning, from diet, exercise, mindfulness, all the simple things that aren't uh, crazy transhumanism implants or gene therapy or drugs <laughs> that can really keep you on a trajectory to have a long, live a long, healthy life. What else would be in uh, the medicine of future? Well, I think back to the longevity question, which many of your viewers are interested in, uh, and sometimes it might be taking uh, a baby aspirin or uh, rapamycin or some other drugs that seem to be impacting um, uh, aging uh, at the biologic level. Uh, I think maybe in the future you'll have a personalized cocktail. Um, 10 years ago, I went to an Aubrey de Grey conference called SENS. It was in uh, Cambridge. And there I had the idea, I was listening to lectures talking about different drugs that might affect uh, metabolism and longevity. And I thought, I bet you everyone might need a bit of a, a different cocktail, just like some people need different doses of uh, uh, cholesterol medication or aspirin. And um, I came up with the idea of uh, maybe a personalized poly pill. So if you could, um, If you could you know, make your own pill, you know, the Greg pill or the Daniel pill mm -hmm. that was optimized to you uh, and your particular health span and longevity, like um, that might be a, a way to extend healthy and long lives or to treat patients who have disease like high blood pressure or their common issues. Um, and there's even a trial that's been done in India and now in, in Europe and even Tehran and Iran called uh, looking at poly pills uh, for prevention. So a study was done 10 or 15 years ago in, in India for men who'd had a brother or a father who had died young from heart disease or stroke, but they had not yet had a, a, an event themselves. And they gave them a combination pill with a low-dose aspirin, statin for cholesterol, and two blood pressure medications. And it reduced their risk of heart attack or stroke by 60 to 80%. So um, as a prevention regimen. So you can imagine the future for longevity and health might be looking at your risk factors, which are different than mine and others, and giving your own kind of prevention cocktail, sometimes simple medications, but in the future, drugs and other elements that might impact your metabolism to impact your health span. Well, that sounds really exciting. Um, what, what is your uh, forecast regarding lifespan of uh, our generation? Well, I'm not a... Uh, a longevity expert, but I think we know that the longest person ever to live was 122 or something yep. like that. And there may be something very fundamental to our biology uh, that uh, may impact that. Um, there's been several super centrogenarians. Um, very few of them get there with their cognition intact. So I think even if we can extend our biology, you know, still a major challenge is our, is our neuroscience to sort of make our, our brains uh, relatively healthy at that late stage of life. Um, so I think we're getting more and more information, starting to understand sequencing uh, 
super centrogenarians starting to understand the biology of aging. Google spent, spun out a company called Calico, which I think is starting to look at the genetics and uh, the, the systems medicine and systems biology. So my forecast, I guess, is that I think it will be more and more common that people live to 100 or more. Uh, but to get over that 120 or 130 barrier may take some interesting biologic engineering. Okay, I see. So uh, right now, uh, what you are doing to uh, be healthier for a longer period of time and live longer is uh, uh, just have a good sleep, then track your uh, key data, that's all? Pretty much. Uh, try and optimize my diet, nothing crazy. Everything in moderation, right? Some people uh, are vegan. Oof. You know, some people uh, are doing ketogenic diets. Um, that can be very helpful if you're a diabetic or trying to lose weight. I don't know if we already know the long-term benefits from some of these. Um, I think you know the most important thing, and I think Aubrey de Grey talks about this, is kind of like maintenance. Hopefully, keep your car. You know, check your engine, change your oil, uh, do your tires every you know. 10,000 miles, uh, those are the best things you can do right now. There's not yet, you tell me, uh, a lot of extra data saying these are the keys to, uh, to magic uh, long life. Not smoking, you know, uh, not too much drinking. All those things are probably important because most of our uh, impacts on our, on our long-term lifespan are based on our behaviors. Um, and some of the basics, ones, some of the best things that we can do with our quantified self is to get insights into our behaviors and to start to modulate them earlier in life. So not wait till you have the heart attack or the stroke or the cancer, which are responsible for shortening most of our, our lifespans. You brought with you some gadgets. You already showed uh, some of them from your pockets. Can you please uh, <laughs> tell me more about other magical stuff that you brought well, in? None of it's magical. I just, uh, you know, I run a program called Exponential Medicine, where we think about what is the potential of technology to improve health and medicine and health span and maybe lifespan uh, around the world and to bring health and medicine to more people and, and using technology to do that. Um, and, you know, the most basic technology, not even basic anymore, is you know the the magical smartphone mm -hmm. is becoming a healthcare technology that is embedded almost in all of us. I and mean, if we're talking about transhumanism, we're already attached to our our smartphones to augment our our brains or to, we're see, already cyber. to see you on YouTube, you yeah. know, or to have the knowledge of the entire world. So, and this is an antique. Uh, you're yeah, too young for this. iPhone. This is an iPhone. Two? iPhone two. It still works. Here's my daughter Alexandra when she was earlier uh, younger. It still works. Ten years old. Wow. It still works. 10 years ago, this was amazing. Now if you use it, you could try it, it'd be like slow, has a low resolution camera. It feels like, ugh, I would never want to use that. And then my iPhone 11 feels magical, and soon that will feel antique 10 years from now. It might be embedded in my contact lens or in my hearing device. So in a sense, these are becoming gadgets we carry that are becoming healthcare devices. Um, you can use this to track your heart rate from the camera. Um, you can use the camera to help you do laboratory analysis. I'm on the board of a company called Healthy.io, where you can dip your urinalysis, take a picture, does the diagnostics, or can look at your skin lesions with artificial intelligence, or analyze your voice or your movement. So these are gadgets we're already carrying, and now there's 10,000 different apps that can 
help you with some element of health from doing yoga and meditation to tracking your medication to helping you with your ketogenic diet to, uh, uh, to many other elements. And so now we have other technologies like, like you know, this one that can track all your vital signs in your underwear, underwearables. Or there's new companies that are building into your textiles, one called Mayant has a new technology called Skin, S-K-I-I-N, that can enable you in your shirt or your underwear to track your vital signs. Um, or little sensors like this. This is um, a company from Israel called Upright. And it, uh, you put it on your back, helps your posture, which my is isn't often good. So it helps you, buzzes your back and gives you a little nudge. Wow, I would need that. <laughs> so yeah, me too. So the idea is uh, not just a wearable, but a trainable. It gives you some feedback, right? Uh, it gives you a little buzz if you're hunched over, right? So, and, want, and it's connected to your smartphone also, right? Right. It can be independent, but also can sync and give you... you can uh, analyze the data. And give you a dash, how long are you standing uh -huh. up straight? And just giving you a little bit of feedback every, you know, if you're hunched over, can retrain your physiology to give you better posture. And maybe that will prevent you when you're 70 from having back pain, right? And uh, a lot of people have spine issues as, issue, as well. So that's another gadget in my pocket that you can buy now for less than 100 US dollars. That might be, be helpful. Um, other things, and, and, and I have the old one. I mean, it started like this, it shrinks to this. Soon it will be even smaller, maybe disappear. As, as usual, all the links to all the resources and gadgets mentioned uh, in our show is in the description in the video. Well, I think that, I mean, it's easy to make these gadgets You know, but what gets interesting is we start to connect the dots in the data. I have an article in, in the 2019 National Geographic, the whole National Geographic's on the future of medicine, January 2019. And the, the article I wrote was about the future of medicine and National Geographic started to rename the title, you know, 12 innovations that will change the future of healthcare. And sort of my point is it's not about any one piece of technology. There's no magic bullet. It's how you put these things together Gene, gene editing and sequencing, wearables, uh, big data, AI, new forms of drug therapies and devices that will help us live longer, healthier lives. Um, so it's e too easy to make them just gadgets. Um, like, you know, this is a pretty amazing device called the Echo. It's a stethoscope. It's a digital stethoscope called the Echo, E-K-O. Um, built by some students at Berkeley originally. And so it can it's let like you It's like the stuff that uh, doctors wear? Yeah, it's, just, it's a digital stethoscope. Mm -hmm. It can sync to your phone. You can actually plug in a headset and listen as well. Um, it also has artificial intelligence to enable to analyze the heart sounds. It even has an EKG built in. Mm -hmm. So you can uh, do the EKG and the uh, stethoscope. So this could be useful to make you uh, as good as most cardiologists at listening to heart sounds. So this could be used for screening, or if you're in a clinic here in Moscow or in rural, rural Africa, an ability to do uh, better diagnostics. There's now even a, a low-cost ultrasound device embedded with ultrasound with, with artificial intelligence uh, from a company called um, Butterfly. So the idea that you can have diagnostics in your pocket, whether it's through your phone or through a device like this, is going to change health and medicine, meaning you can start to do healthcare uh, almost anywhere and blend that with telemedicine and uh, doctor chatbots, um, other, other gadgets. Um, this is an early prototype of the idea of a medical tricorder. So some of you might remember Star Trek, Yeah. right? Uh, there's the tricorder you want. Um, I helped design an XPRIZE. Uh, an XPRIZE is a, a competition 
to make a medical tricorder. And this is one of the teams that built a version of this. So the idea is that soon we'll have technologies in our pockets that can analyze our heart data, our, health, our health data in an integrated way. Heart rate data, heart rate variability, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, maybe blood sugar. Um, and then start to synthesize that and use that to pick up a problem early or to manage a disease. So uh, right now, what does it do? Um, this one was, a, if I charged it up and synced it, it would track uh, heart rate, oxygen saturation, uh, calculate your blood pressure, um, uh, give you an EKG, a basic EKG, and integrate that with an AI agent on your phone. So all within uh, like uh, several seconds? Yes, yeah, I mean, this is a prototype version. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing other companies build versions of these uh, that will give you, uh, I have another one in my bag, integrated sort of medical data immediately that will hopefully get better and better as we quantify more people and start to understand what does this data mean you know, outside of the usual clinic. Because probably even you and most people growing up, when they get sick or have a medical issue, they usually go to the doctor or mm -hmm. to the clinic or the hospital. And that's the only time they collect any medical data. So we have very intermittent data And so that leads to a very reactive sick care system, meaning you wait for the problem to happen rather than stop it. So the future of health and health and medicine, hopefully, is to use these sorts of technologies. Some of them are quantified self, some of them are omics, to be much more proactive and preventative, um, and then to optimize your health over the long term and find problems at stage zero uh, before they become a real issue that can maybe even kill you. Wow, that has been an impressive set of gadgets. I have more, I think, but... Uh, ah, do show us. Uh, let's see. Uh, other versions. This is just a, a prototype of a sort of a lab on a chip. So let's say it's, it's wintertime. You have a cough. Maybe you have the flu. Maybe you have a bacterial illness, pneumonia. Uh, maybe you don't want to get your friends and family sick. You'll just spit into the element here. The lines will show up. You take a picture with your smartphone, and it does the analysis of what kind of respiratory issue do you have? What, maybe what kind of virus? Maybe what kind of bacteria? And then you can treat that uh, more readily or do... Uh, How long does it take? I think it's like three, three minutes, you know, just wow. like, almost like a pregnancy dip. dip uh, Because I think pregnancy. if you do that uh, in a hospital, it takes like a couple of days to analyze. Uh, right. We're seeing a whole explosion of new ways to do, you know, lab on a chip. Here's another example of a, a technology where you'll, uh, you know, plug it into your smartphone and it'll be, this is on the market already, and you could uh, do a blood test. Maybe, you know, blood sugar is an easy one, but it might check your cholesterol or your hemoglobin A1C, mm -hmm. which gives you an indication of maybe diabetes, or uh, test a whole number of other factors. So this How does is, it work? Uh, it's basically using simple microfluidics or chromatography, this version, uh, and there can be a variety of different tests. So for, you know, 10 rubles, one dollar, mm -hmm. you can do a test that used to require you to go to the laboratory for a hundred times that. So the ability to do that, do uh, diagnostics and how anyway. do you do you pierce your For some finger? it might be saliva, it might be blood. Most people don't want to do blood every day, so there's even a technology, this is a new one, um, uh, that can uh, uh, put this on your arm and draw a little bit of blood and then connect it to your laboratory. Or you put this in the mail, so you don't need to have a Uh, a nurse or a doctor pull your blood, you can do it easily at home. So mm -hmm. this, this will take, uh, I think, 100 microliters of blood, a small amount, but enough now to do almost any test. Uh, is it painful? 
No, this one has a little tiny micro needle. Mm -hmm. You put it on your arm for like two minutes, press the button, take it off, and you can drop this in the lab or maybe connect it to your phone. And for many folks who are interested in health and longevity, they can start to quantify not just their vital signs and their steps, but their daily laboratories, if, if that's relevant, right? Like many diabetic patients, they can track their blood sugar 24-7 with a, a wearable blood sugar monitor. Many folks are doing that anyway, even if they don't have diabetes, to understand their, their blood sugar data. Um, many folks will be able to do this sort of thing at home for many other forms, your, your hormones, your testosterone, your cortisol levels, your... Uh, uh, you know, many other measures that might be useful to understanding your physiology, your aging, and to maybe stop and maybe even reverse that. Wow, so many gadgets. I, 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 uh, I, I, I more. Well, last yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So we talk about quantified self. Now you can think about, you know, quantifying your breath. The mm -hmm. molecules in your breath have lots of data. So you may have heard about um, some dogs that can smell cancer. Right. So... Now folks are building nano-noses. Analyzing the molecules from your breath can give you an indication of, you know, you're going on a date, is your breath good? <laughs> you can quantify that. Um, soon this might measure metabolic dis diseases, like you could pick up diabetes from your breath, ketones. There are other um, companies making versions of this. If you're trying to go on a ketogenic diet, you can look at your metabolism from your breath, or maybe pick up and screen for cancers. Uh, just using your breath as well. There's a company called Alstone Biomedical out of uh, United Kingdom that is one of the leaders in sort of breath biopsy, right? And so I think the future will be, we'll start to, you know, you don't need to go crazy. Your, your, your environment, your wearable devices, your phone, your cameras can start to measure your basic physiology, your basic vital signs, your day-to-day -day elements. Start to see, hey, Greg, we noticed Hmm, your walking has changed, or your posture is worse, or your heart rate data is showing you're very stressed, or there's signs that your blood sugars are rising at an unhealthy way, and maybe give you a little text saying, hey, maybe you need to go get checked out with another test, or maybe come to a clinic, maybe get a scan. Maybe that finds that brain tumor or other problem very, very early so that you can treat it when it's very treatable, as opposed to giving you a chronic or maybe even a uh, a lethal problem. Um, so, uh, you know, that's where part of healthcare is going, sort of always monitoring you in smart ways, giving you early warning, uh, integrating that data hopefully into the international world of, of big information so that when I see you as my patient, I don't just have the knowledge in my head, I have the sort of AI integrated synthesized information from thousands of doctors and studies, you know, right at my fingertips that are available for me right away. And the AI uh, is already sometimes better than uh, doctors in diagnosing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still early. I mean, a lot of these technologies get hyped. You know, you know, AI, robotics, 3D printing, nanotech, big data, uh, blockchain. They've all have their buzzwords. Their, their, <laughs> their buzzwords and their Gartner's hype cycle. You know, AI is not new. 3D printing is not a, a new thing either. Um, but now they're becoming exponentially better. Uh, every year. So, you know, comparing uh, my, my iPhone 2 to my iPhone 11, you know, it's 10 years later, it's almost, you know, more than 10 times more powerful. What I can now fit is like this. It's like Moore's Law, right? Moore's Law. So, yeah, everyone knows Moore's Law, the power of computing. Now, that fits on my amazing Apple Watch. What will fit on my watch in 10 years from now, right? It may be 
uh, almost hard to imagine, or all of this will shrink into a contact lens. There's news this week of a company that's getting closer and closer to an embedded contact lens, which gives you heads-up display information. Kind of it's the like a Google Glass, but a contact lens. Exactly. Wow. So the era of augmented and virtual reality. I mean, 10 years ago, you had to go to a lab and you could try a special augmented virtual reality headset. Now you can buy an Oculus Quest for you know, 200 US dollars, which is pretty incredible. And that gives you the ability to be almost anywhere. I can go visit Moscow virtually from California. You can, we could all be doing a virtual interview. Many, the future of YouTube, and, um, and there's already these elements on VR, we can go into virtual environments. And you know you can have a virtual a session with your with your YouTube audience in real time. That's interesting. I never thought about it, but uh, so I how think we'll it's going to happen. Yeah. So even the future of aging, right? You may have a medical issue. You might be stuck uh, in a nursing home in Siberia or in uh, uh, in New York, uh, and we can all now be connected. One of the biggest issues with health span and, and is actually loneliness. There's an epidemic now. We're all more connected, but many. Folks feel more isolated. That's and so right. now these technologies, for good and for bad, can enable you to be more connected and more, um, you know, visiting your grandparents or your grandkids or just being connected to your friends and family, uh, increasingly not just on text, but in virtual environments, which will become more and more real or feel more real. Or you can be anybody you want to be. You could be a different character. You could be tall or short, uh, woman, man, uh, robot. Uh, You're sounding like a hardcore transhumanist uh, <laughs> right now. Well, I mean, this gives us the ability to play in these virtual worlds. Yeah. And, um, and because health, humans are social, right? Uh, health is social. We can now start to augment our ability to interact and, uh, and be connected anytime, anywhere. By the way, have you watched uh, Black Mirror? A couple of pieces, right? Yeah, because I mean, when you said about uh, VR reality uh, sure. and uh, nursing homes, there's a fantastic episode, San Jupiter, I think it's called, uh, about that. a person in a nursing home who's uh, paralyzed but right. living in virtual reality. And that's already starting. Virtual reality now is actually becoming used not just for gaming and for fun, but as a, for therapy. Um, for folks who have pain from a burn or other injuries, they can go into a cold environment and throw snowballs and see penguins and, and, uh, and be in Antarctica, and they lower their need for pain medication. Or for doing physical therapy, you can be into a virtual environment and make sure you do your exercises, or do virtual yoga, or do virtual boxing, um, or um, even to train doctors and nurses and patients to do better medical procedures. So there's lots of applications of some of these technologies that start for, you know, for fun, for video gaming, and are now being used for, for health and medicine. You also mentioned 3D printing. Mm -hmm. um, has there been recently any progress on 3D printing uh, body organs? I always get that question. I think for those uh, who want to live a long time, yes, we are maybe eventually going to be able to synthesize and print your organs from your stem cells. But that's going to be disrupted by the ability now to do amazing gene editing. You've all heard of CRISPR. CRISPR yeah. is less than 10 years old. Today in 2020, there are now clinical trials showing the ability to cure some diseases like sickle cell disease and maybe thalassemia. Single gene, single switch, relatively simple diseases. Um, but we can also use CRISPR now to modify, for example, pigs. So there's now work out of Harvard and other places to take a human-sized pig, knock out some of the human, knock out some of the pig genes, 
and knock in some human genes. And I think the future of organ transplantation won't be 3D printing an organ, but to take a humanized organ from a humanized pig if you need an organ transplant. So like a chimera. Chimera, sort of a, a xenotransplantation, meaning uh, if you, for example, your kidneys fail, um, you might wait a long time on a kidney transplant list or maybe never get it. Many people die, thousands of people die every month or every day waiting for an organ transplant. The future, maybe not so far, maybe 10 years from now, is that you'll be able to get a uh, engineered organ from, in many cases, a pig that uh, is an Im immunologically matched enough that we can do the transplant in that way. Well, it sounds like you're kind of optimistic about the future. Well, I hope to be an optimist. I mean, there's lots of ethical and other challenges here. Who gets these technologies, right? Um, even in the Black Mirror world or other Uh, shows, you know, only the super rich get to get the super drugs or get the organ transplants. So there's the have and the have nots. Um, many of your viewers may have seen a 20-year-old movie called Gattaca. Yeah. Have you seen Gattaca? Um, no. And that's the sort of dystopian world where there are the genetic haves and the genetic have nots. You know, we know in 2018, 2019, the first CRISPR babies happened in a not a very ethically good way. What happens when we start to not just try and change genes that are for disease, but to optimize your height or your intelligence or your longevity. Why not? Well, I mean, potentially why not, but who gets this? Uh, um, who, uh, who, who gets the rights to decide? Who pays for it? What happens to our, our society when there are those who are evolving more quickly, the genetic haves, maybe the transhumanists who end up living 200 years and the folks who live in the relative ghetto who do not have technology? Well, uh, don't you think that the cost of all these things will uh, be lower and lower, like with DNA tests? Sure. It used to be uh, $2 billion dollars to sequence uh, genome, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And now I have done this test for less than $1,000 uh, dollars yeah, in Russia. Yeah, it's very close to being a $100 genome. Probably in 10 years it might be $10 or $1, uh, and so, maybe it'd be yeah. part of everyone's medical record. But what happens when... Uh, Your employer, your insurer, you know, TAS, the government, has your genome on file just like they have your driver's license. And we know, okay, Greg, uh, you've got some genes for early dementia or heart disease or risk for cancer. Do I hire you or John, mm -hmm. who has a better gene profile? Or you're going to get married to someone you're dating. There's a scene in the movie Gattaca. It's a man and a woman, they're on a date. Uh, the woman goes to the bathroom. The guy takes the hair or from her glass and sends it to the sequencing place and five minutes later gets her genetic score. Right? Wow. So what happens when people start to only meet and to breed you know, based on their genetics? So I think there's lots of black mirror things that are interesting to think about. So movies like Gattaca, which are 20 years old, already are starting to show us what happens in this genetic age. If you're born as a genetic two versus a genetic 10, what happens to your, to your potential for the future? What about CRISPR babies? Uh, many scientists have uh, signed uh, uh, open call for ban on uh, such technology. I, on the other hand, think that uh, it's an amazing technology that could help us uh, treat many diseases. What's your take on this? I think it's a bit of a Pandora's box. I mean, it's one thing to treat diseases, even that quite unethical and illegal procedure done in China Uh, by Dr. He was, you know, to prevent HIV. That was yeah. a cure. It was a kind of a ridiculous excuse. You don't believe it? I mean, number one, these babies did not need that 
as a prevention, number one. Number two, we don't know the other implications to their health. Number three, it probably didn't even work. They were kind of chimeras, as far as we can tell. I don't think all the data has been even shared completely. So we need to be very careful, very transparent. Um, there may be, again, uh, some positive ways. We can already do genetic selection in IVF, right? We're only 40 years into the world of in vitro fertilization. Uh, Louise Brown, I think, is 40 years old. It's amazing now how many babies are being born by IVF, but now you can start to select um, which, which embryo you have, the genetically you know, eight or nine versus the genetic two. That's most relevant if, if, if parents know they have a genetic risk of having a baby with Tay-Sachs or other genetic knowledge. But what happens in the future when you can have 10,000 IVF embryos and you select in that way, we'll start to have, uh, we don't even need to do genetic manipulation. There's a book by a friend of mine called Hacking Darwin by Jamie Metzl, a good read, which kind of shows us this near future of evolution and, and making babies. In 30 years, it may be very rare to have a child the old fashioned way. It's gonna yeah. be all selected. Yeah. Well, uh, why not? Uh, I'm not saying why not, I just sometimes, I think that we don't always know the implications of this. There's might be good implications and bad. It may be good for some people and not good for others. Um, just like gene engineering can be made to maybe cure a disease, it could also be used for bioterrorism. Uh, it can be used for genetically modified organisms like GMOs, which can help um, make better crops and make uh, corn and rice that can grow. Uh, it may be, be used to address global warming by modifying bacteria to, to take down CO2, but it could also be used in, in negative ways. 3D printing can be used to make a medical device, but you can also print a gun, right? So like all these technologies, they have good and bad. And I'm not saying there's no absolute. And, and there's even, even Elon Musk and others are very concerned about AI and its yeah, implications for it's good a big, and for bad. It's a big topic. Right. Unfriendly AI. Yeah, so risks. we, you know, uh, space 2001, you know, open the pod mm -hmm. and <laughs> what happens when the AI takes over. So I just think we need to be a little careful. We don't want to stop progress. In the early 1970s was when we were starting to do genetic engineering, able to splice genes together. And many folks were, ah, oh, do not do that. You're playing God, right? We're going to create uh, superhumans or, or what have you. Um, there was a lot of pushback. But several scientists, led by Paul Berg, who's a Nobel laureate from Stanford, and others had something called the Asilomar Meetings, a famous meeting location in, in California. And they brought together the scientists to kind of self-regulate. How do you do genetic manipulation and engineering? And by carefully uh, setting some standards, they were able to enable the whole biotech industry to emerge. And companies like Genentech and others now have created entire industries where many of our new drugs which give us the ability to cure cancer or treat diseases, have emerged in safe, carefully regulated ways, not the ability to now, as you could do today, do genetic engineering in your kitchen. So we need to be careful because there's incredible power in these technologies. Um, and almost anybody now can go to a YouTube video and learn how to, do, how to do CRISPR or how to program an AI or 3D print a medical device or a gun. So I think we need to be a little bit careful about um, how we unleash the genie. Uh, so would you ban or not uh, CRISPR? I wouldn't ban it. I think there's, again, lots of positive implications. Um, 
and I just think we need to be mindful about just regulate it. Yeah, so not who does it, and use <laughs> use the power of the scientific community and, and collaboration to allow it to move forward in, in healthy ways. Because we could have, again, the ability to uh, download an app, order a CRISPR agent, drop it in the mail, impact the entire city of Moscow or the world. Now we're in the age of um, pandemic disease. I mean, we saw uh, HN1 uh, swine flu or Ebola. You can be in an airplane. Uh, and 20, 12 hours later be almost anywhere on the planet. So there's, there's a danger to our technological um, transcontinental world that we need to be mindful of. We want to live a long, healthy life. We need to have a healthy planet. I mean, if folks are transhumanists, we need to be... Um, human health is tied to environmental health. Absolutely. And, and so there's it's a part important. of combining all of those things. Mm -hmm. So genetic modification be, can be good for plants. It can also be bad for the environment. So I think everything with moderation. I think the same thing with, with uh, diet and exercise and everything else. I think that's a really sensible uh, statement. Last, I always ask the guests of the show to recommend some uh, good reading material on the topic. Uh, you already mentioned uh, the book Hacking Darwin. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend it? Yeah, that's a great read. Um, there's a new book coming out from Peter Diamandis called The Future is Coming Faster Than You Think. He has another book called Abundance uh, and others. Those are kind of good reads about technology and their potential to really impact the world in, in good ways. Um, there are um, some interesting reads uh, on, you can go to Singularity Hub out of Singularity University. It has a lot of reading about the future and technology. Um, you can go to my website for Exponential Medicine, and there's a lot of good videos there, exponentialmedicine.com. You'll see the link in the description. Slash videos, exponentialmedicine.com slash videos, where um, there's everything from talks about CRISPR and genetic engineering to quantified self to uh, environmental health to uh, what we can do with uh, uh, treating cancer to mental health. So um, it's a really interesting time for almost anybody to get involved in enabling technologies to build a better planet. Yeah, the times, uh, they are a-changing. Um, last thing, we usually have a contest where we give out uh, a book uh, uh, to our audience, Wh whomever leaves the most interesting comment under this video. Please leave a comment uh, about our guest. How do you find him? Uh, maybe you think uh, he's radical, maybe you think he's too moderate. Uh, write something down and I will uh, read all the comments and choose the winner. And the winner gets uh, which book? Which book would we? You should get Hacking, Hacking Darwin because I think that relates pretty well into this world of gene editing and CRISPR and f future of human evolution. But I would also do another competition. Um, we're in 2020 now. Okay. 2020 used to be the future, right? Wow, right? Um, things are accelerating. There's a famous quote from Bill Gates. He said, uh, people tend to underestimate, people tend to overestimate what will happen in one year and underestimate what will happen in a decade. Yeah. And you know, just think about, it's only been 13 years since the first iPhone, right? Um, things are moving exponentially faster in 3D printing, in nanotech, in AI, in robotics, in, in genomics, uh, in many fields. So what would you predict for 10 years from now, 2030? What would be your headline from the future? Um, you know, you open the, open the newspaper in 10 years, what might you be reading about? Is it gonna be that the, you know, 
the, the thousandth CRISPR baby was born, or the fact that the brain-computer implant from Elon Musk or others is now on the market, and that can enable you to download the internet to your brain. Uh, you know, sometimes with exponentials, it's hard to appreciate what can happen. Um, we do have the challenge for everybody to think about regulation and laws and ethics, so that we help not everyone be just a techno enthusiast, but to moderate a little bit. How do you educate uh, politicians from from the White House to the Politburo to understand the the policies and the regulation that, that needs to be put in place to enable the next generation of digiceuticals or gene therapies or technologies that might extend our life and health span to get out there in safe ways. Because some people are even hacking their genetics today and that may help them or it may not. So there's this balance on the transhumanism side where we need to uh, be bold, but also be a little bit careful. Just watch Black Mirror and you can see yeah. some of the unforeseen consequences of having the memory chip or the contact lens or even the over, there's one episode about the world of quantified self where people are over-quantified and they're always having to game and get points. Yeah, social rating system. And that's already Which, which is already happening, happening yeah. in China. So uh, be careful what you wish for yeah. and create that future that, that uh, hopefully is, is equitable so that health and medicine and health span can come to everybody. There's three billion more people coming online. There's three billion people today who have almost no access to basic health, vaccinations, clean water, basic medical care. So sometimes before we think about living forever, let's help people who are born in places that don't have opportunity and access to use some of these pretty incredible technologies, you know, a chatbot doctor, an AI sensor, um, uh, a drone to deliver medical care, uh, to sort of give everybody an equal chance uh, to live long, healthy, productive lives. Wow, that uh, was an, an inspiring speech, but you mentioned uh, that you have an idea for a contest. So another comment, uh, please leave another comment on how the world will look like in a decade. According to Bill Gates' quote, it may be far more advanced than you think. So uh, try to be creative and the author of this uh, best comment will also receive uh, an ebook. Uh, Hacking Darwin. So there will be two winners of this contest. So Daniel, thank you so much. I think it has been a really exciting uh, discussion. I'm sure that many of our viewers will uh, think about various things that they could uh, change in their lives after this uh, to uh, think about the future, to quantify their lives, maybe to be more careful with uh, their efforts in the area of transhumanism. Quit smoking, simple things. Yeah. Sleep, smoking, diet. Don't wait for the future to arrive to make some magical bullet, you know? Thanks so much. Uh, this has been Mastrida. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, subscribe to my podcast on iTunes and all other podcasting services. Please rate our show, leave your comments, like, subscribe, and see you with more interesting interviews and other content on transhumanism, trends of development of society and other interesting stuff. Bye-bye.